You're listening to Guinea Pig and Green. I'm Laura. And I'm Stephanie. And we like talking about health, wellness, and eco-friendliness in a fun and approachable way. Today, we are talking to Kim and Amy Sedgwick of the Red Tent Sisters, experts in natural fertility, sexuality, and birth control. We also talk to them about STIs, eco-sex, and sexual empowerment. Let's talk about sex, baby! Welcome back to Guinea Pig and Green. Steph and I are here today with Kim and Amy Sedgwick of the Red Tent Sisters. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Thanks. for having us. Yeah, yeah we're really there. excited. Um, so just to start, do you want to tell us a bit about what you do? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) We do lots of things. Um, So we specialize in women's reproductive and sexual health. Um, So my area of interest is around sexuality, and then Amy's the fertility expert in Mm -hmm. natural birth control. Yeah, so um, primarily what I do is uh, teaching women how to chart their cycles for natural birth control, and I offer it mostly online at this point, actually, which is a lot of fun, so serving people pretty much all over the globe at the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we also blog, and we have an online store as well that specializes in environmentally friendly sexuality products. Great. Mm-hmm. How did you guys get into that? So it's an interesting story. I went to school for women's studies, and mm-hmm. when I was Very out, cool. at, yeah, it was an awesome program. <laughs> I I Johnson, uh, yeah, there yeah. we go. It's a good program. Yeah. And uh, the last year that I was doing the program, I went to a conference out in Edmonton, and one of the lectures was about natural birth control. And Amy had been looking for a natural form of birth control after having her daughter, so then mm-hmm. I sent her the manual. And Amy can finish that story. Yeah, so, um, yeah, as Kim mentioned, I was looking for something after having my daughter because I actually was having side effects from hormonal birth control, so I was looking for an alternative. And, yeah, so Kim passed along that information. I tried um, charting and teaching it to myself on my own for a couple months, and that was not very effective. Fortunately, I didn't get pregnant, but I (laughs) knew that I was not doing it very well, so I hired somebody to teach it to me, and um, it quickly went from just being about birth control to just understanding my overall health better. Like, I discovered food allergies and a thyroid issue and all sorts of stuff through my charting practice. And um, I was looking for a way to basically turn this into a clinical practice. And that was around the time that Kim graduated. And so we just started brainstorming about the idea of like starting a business together that would incorporate our interests in sexuality and reproductive health and stuff. And uh, yeah, and then we kind of had the, the brainstorm of opening Red Tent Sisters. And then um, quite fittingly, it was like nine months later that we opened our business. From like, when we came up with the idea to when we opened our doors. And we gave birth to the baby. Yes, we talk about it like it's our baby. Yeah, we do. Well, like, Steph and I, one of the things we really admire is how brazenly you guys mm. approach sexuality. And like, I think that's yeah, something that... I think it's that, really important. Yeah, it is important to have these discussions. Yeah, so. we've been lucky that, like, especially Kim has just always been super comfortable talking about sexuality and her, all of her friends used to come to her for advice <laughs> I know we thought it was fun when yeah. we were young to like practice putting condoms on bananas like it seems like we were just born, born to, to do, do this work, work. yeah I think partly having Amy as an older sister but we also have two stepsisters so I had three older siblings and mm. as a result of that I think I just got a lot of awesome information and then when people asked me questions if I couldn't answer I was like oh I'll go to my expert so I'd go home and yeah, I just think that I was fortunate to not really have a lot of the hang-ups that I think are frequently ingrained in um, young yeah. women's especially, yeah. and so yeah. I felt comfortable going to the bookstore and buying books on sexuality and just always had a thirst for knowledge and talking about it, and I figured if I was doing it all day anyway, I might as well get paid for it, yeah. <laughs> making my career. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that's what I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that's a really hot topic right now, we were listen- all of us actually, we yeah. just realized, <laughs> we listened to the, there's a, a segment on The Current this morning on CBC about... Um, 
uh, women transitioning away from the pill because they're not mm -hmm. happy with the effects that it has. Mm -hmm. So for our audience, can you maybe go over um, what people should maybe know about the hormonal birth control pill that sure. they may not already know? Yeah, so I mean, I think a lot of it has been in the media, so people are aware that there are things that are very serious, like blood clots and risk mm -hmm. of stroke and death. Um, but I also see a lot of um, more minor side effects that are often dismissed by people's doctors, and um, but they are serious to the women who are experiencing them. So, right. you know, loss of libido kind of makes it pointless to be on birth control if you don't have <laughs> yeah. sex. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so that's a major one. And w one of the really big ones I hear from women coming to me wanting to get off hormonal birth control is um, that the pill really makes them feel like they're going crazy, like just that their moods are really erratic or they feel depressed all the time. Um, I think it's tougher for people who have been on it for a really long time, especially yeah. since their teen years when they might have already had erratic hormone swings right. to, to notice it. But women who, um, you know, haven't been on it most of their lives and then go on it really notice a difference or, you know, lots of women have different experiences with it. But the, the hormonal impacts on mood are, are one of the major factors. Um, and then we also get a lot of women coming to us just saying, you know, and this was mentioned on the, the segment this morning, just, you know, you're going organic with your food, you're choosing new body products that have yeah. no parabens and all of this stuff. And so to be putting a hormone in your body intentionally every day just seems really counterintuitive yeah. Um, yeah. to, you know, trying to live a lifestyle that's congruent with your values. Exactly. So. And to be taking a pill when you're not sick. Yeah. 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 Right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it is a, a major disruptor to the body's entire system. I mean, our hormones are not just meant to monitor our fertility. They impact everything from our metabolism to, you know, our ability to get certain types of cancers and all sorts of things. So it's important to recognize that, um, yeah, it's it's not a, a tiny little thing that we're doing. It's not like we're popping a tic-tac every day. You know, <laughs> yeah. Not that that's good yeah. for you either, but it's, it's serious. You're yeah. taking artificial hormones, which disrupt your entire body's physiology, really. Right. And unfortunately, that's really not how it's framed. I think a lot mm. of people think of it almost like an accessory, like these cute little packs is often yeah. how they're advertised mm -hmm. in magazines. And they're marketed that way towards teens. Exactly. So like yeah. a little, like, like almost like a little makeup compact thing that you would keep in your yeah. purse or something. Yeah. Which really yeah. diminishes yeah. the severity of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think what you mentioned, uh, people who have been on it since their teen years, like me, for example, mm -hmm. it's kind of scary when you don't actually know what your body is really like off of it. Yeah. So I think that that whole phenomenon of people going on it at such a young age can actually be Yeah, and you mentioned a really important point, which is just the long-term impacts on um, fertility, too. I was just like when, a, that. when teenagers go on it before their body actually matures reproductively, then when they come off of it, it's like your body doesn't actually even know how to get pregnant. And oh, I've wow. seen that because I work not only with women for birth control, but women trying to get pregnant. And that's a major factor is, you know, how young were they when they were put on it? You know, how long had they been menstruating prior to going on it? Because uh, a teenage girl's reproductive system takes, you know, four or five years to fully mature. And so if you go on the pill before that even happens, then it's like when a woman comes off in her 20s, 30s, or sometimes even 40s, thinking she can get pregnant right away, it's, the body doesn't even know how to make a baby at that point. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And um, when you look at infertility rates and how high they are, and the yeah. fact that people are not talking about the fact that birth control, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of women would make different choices if they were given that information. And when yeah. I was put on it, if they had told me it could increase my chance of depression, I'm not sure I would have taken it. Maybe right. I would have anyway, but just in yeah. the fact that informed choice is not part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. and I think for women who are planning to have kids in the future, they might change their mind if they mm -hmm. heard that it might make it more difficult for them to conceive in the future. Yeah, like we were talking mm -hmm. right before we started recording was my experience was going to my doctor and saying, what are my options for birth control? And mm -hmm. she just wrote me a prescription for the pill. Like it's not part of the discussion. Yeah. Um, so what are those alternatives that we're not hearing about 
uh-huh. uh, even from our healthcare professionals. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So um, the segment this morning was talking about the pullout generation. So <laughs> there was this whole discussion around, around withdrawal. And it's interesting looking at that because people have different reactions. I mean, some people just think that that's atrocious that anyone would re- rely on it. But if you look at where it falls in kind of the scheme of things in the Planned Parenthood, for example, will list, you know, the efficacy of different methods. It gets grouped actually with things like condoms and cervical caps and, you know, other forms of legitimate birth control that people rely on. So um, the problem, of course, with withdrawal is that there's a huge range. So it can be, Mm -hmm. you know, anywhere from about uh, 73 to 96% effective, depending on the man's ability to control and all of that, the communication between partners and all that kind of thing. Um, But it is, you know, can be a viable addition to you know, the, the grouping of birth control. And, you know, we're going to be having a post that's going out this week talking about, um, for us, because the efficacy isn't fabulous, I ideally like to recommend that my clients use it in conjunction with something else. So, for example, condoms. And, of course, right. condoms are a great option because they also protect against STIs, which is really important. Um, so those are a couple of, you know, more natural options. There are still, of course, the barrier methods. Um, they're getting harder and harder to find diaphragms. Mm. A lot of doctors don't know how to fit for them anymore. It's also hard um, to find the spermicide because nanoxylmine yeah. was the main ingredient, which has now been banned. So it's really hard to find yeah. spermicide. So mm-hmm. it's kind of useless to have a diaphragm if you don't yeah. have anything yeah. to put in it. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it's really just a holder for spermicide. So yeah. if you have the diaphragm, yeah. you have spermicide. That said, there are some good options. There's something called the FemCap that you can actually order online without a doctor. Um, fitting it for you and we do carry something called Contragel which is um, a sperm set that's free of nanoxamine so that's an option as well mm-hmm. and then of course you know I teach fertility awareness which is a really highly effective form of birth control um, that requires women to pay attention to their bodies and so it does require some kind of time and investment and some willingness to actually understand how your body works but uh, once you do it's incredibly effective so studies show that it's between 98.6 and 99.4% effective depending on um, the accuracy of your charting and so that's a really great option and what I love about it is that it can also be used in conjunction with these other methods that we're talking about so ideally with this method you would abstain from uh, vaginal intercourse during the times of fertility in the month which is on average kind of like you know four to six days of, of the cycle when the women are fertile um, but for people who actually um, don't want to abstain during that time, you can choose to use condoms or withdrawal or a combination of those things, you know, some of right. the methods that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of uh, fertility awareness, mm-hmm. so most of our listeners are around like their early 20s mm-hmm. um, and a lot of us aren't in monogamous relationships yeah. and do you still recommend that as like as a uh, absolutely so in those cases again when there are non-monogamous situations we do encourage condom use at all times but what I love about um, fertility awareness is that it just gives you an extra piece of information when making yeah. your decisions so for example we know that condoms are not always effective and in typical use they're about 85% effective and they do break you know we hear about that pretty regularly um, so the nice thing about that is you know if a condom breaks then with the charting, the fertility awareness, then women can know whether they're at a time when they're actually at risk of getting pregnant and choose mm. to take emergency contraceptive pill if they want to or that kind of thing, whereas there are times of the cycle when it would be completely 
um, unnecessary yeah. to take the emergency contraceptive pill. So what I love about it is it can offer that additional information for right. women to okay. make their choices and hopefully reduce the need to rely on things like Plan B or emergency contraceptive pill. And also, even if they're not using it as their primary form of birth control, just mm -hmm. the amount of awareness that a woman has about her body. I mean, yeah. as you yeah, mentioned, like true. you found out so much information about mm -hmm. allergies and so many other things. Yeah. You can use it really as like a barometer for your overall health and figure out if you're having allergies. Like we've had people come yeah. in and they couldn't figure out what was the problem and they realized they're actually having allergies when they were using products that had latex or so whether it was the yeah. keeper which is a reusable menstrual cup or condom so mm -hmm. just having some way to chart what's going on with your body yeah mm -hmm. exactly so I did have a couple of clients who discovered condom allergies um, through their charting practice because certain mm -hmm. types of mucus were showing up in reaction to the condoms and it was mild enough that they hadn't put it together before mm -hmm. um, but certain condoms like latex can cause issues sometimes some condoms have types of spermicide on them or lubricant mm -hmm. that are on the condom that okay. can have chemicals in them that women react to. So I think it's just a great overall practice for all women to have just in terms of being right. more self-aware. Yeah. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. um, when we talk about transitioning off the pill, if people are going to move towards any of these options, is there mm -hmm. anything that um, they should know about what could happen when you start to transition off the pill, what to expect, or like how to do it safely or health, like, mm -hmm. in a healthful way? Yeah, absolutely. So um, obviously you need, you want to have a, a backup plan or how what you're going to move right. towards. And it's, it's nice to have an idea of that before coming off of the pill so that you're not just kind of winging it. Um, so that's really important. There are lots of different things that women experience when coming off of the pill and um, erratic cycles as the body begins to kind of return to normal okay. fertility is a normal, is, is a common thing to see. So, um, you know, some of my clients, I see one of two different things very commonly. Um, so one is, you know, a total lack of fertility and, and mucus production and all of that ovulation. So, so I've had clients where it's taken six, nine months, even a year sometimes to get back to regular menstruating. Mm. Um, and then conversely, I've some, sometimes had people who have gone back to cycling right away, immediately getting their period on a, on a regular basis. Um, sometimes women within that might have like a chronic mucus as opposed to no mucus at all. And that's sometimes just the body detoxifying from all of the synthetic hormones that do stay in the body. And they can cause some strange um, vaginal discharges that can be concerning to women. Um, but again, that's often just part of the process and part of the healing uh, process for the cervix after coming off hormonal birth control. So that's something to be aware of. So yeah, planning for what it is that you're going to use and just being aware of all of those changes that might happen and ideally having, you know, some kind of a professional like myself, another holistic reproductive health practitioner, a naturopathic doctor, you know, somebody who's going to be there to support you through that. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes there are certain nutritional supplements that are needed. The, the pill can really deplete us of certain nutritional mm -hmm. elements in our body. And so having, um, you know, a supplement regime, a particular diet can really help to get the body back on track. So again, having professional support for that can be really helpful. Well, because the pill can often mask symptoms of other things, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people are put on the pill not necessarily just for birth control, but we've mm -hmm. had clients who've um, taken it for polycystic ovarian syndrome, mm -hmm. and then when they yeah. come off, or heavy periods, yeah. or all sorts of things mm -hmm. that Epping. were originally yeah. because of a health issue, right? So oh, it can really be yeah. used yeah. as a band-aid, and then yeah. all of a sudden you sure. take it yeah. off, and things are worse, and, and it all goes back. Yeah. And instead of seeing that as a problem, and it's important to see that the pill was actually masking that yeah. underlying yeah. issue which still remains and that needs to be healed yeah mm. no that's interesting yeah, I, like, I definitely have a lot of friends who went on the pill when we were in mm -hmm. high school for acne yeah or this for is, yeah yeah, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um so i wanted to talk a bit more about condoms mm -hmm. i guess the 
main question is like, are condoms enough? So mm-hmm. we talked about like they can break and yeah. so they, they can fail. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is it possible for a condom to fail without it breaking? It's, well, I guess, it's the boss. It yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Those are the main reasons. In most cases that I've ever heard of, people, women knew that something had you gone wrong. So there right. was a breakage or slippage. However, that said, I just met um, my first friend of a friend, you know, probably about a month ago who got pregnant using a condom and had no idea. Mm-hmm. And it's like she oh, went wow. weeks without realizing she was pregnant um, because it just wasn't in their consciousness to be thinking that this was an issue. Right. Um, so it can happen. Yeah. Certainly for my clients who really, really don't want to get pregnant, I do recommend doubling up. So using, you know, condom plus a cervical cap or condom plus withdrawal, um, particularly, obviously, on the fertile days where we're at most risk. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and are there any condom brands that you think that people should keep, be keeping an eye out for? I mean, mm. we talked about there are definitely ones that we should avoid, um, but we know um, like Sir Richard's is one mm-hmm. that's pretty... Yeah, yeah that's one of the ones that we really like, uh, for the main reason being that often women have allergies to the lubricant that's used on condoms, mm-hmm. and so the lubricant that they use is paraben-free, parabens being a product um, or an ingredient that a lot of people are trying to avoid just because of the health risks, and it mm-hmm. can cause an allergic mm-hmm. reaction. Often they too um, have glycerin in them, lubricants, and glycerin can cause yeast infections in women, mm-hmm. so we really like that the Sir Richard's lubricant is, is good in that respect. They're also just a really feel-good company. They donate yeah. a box of condoms for everyone mm-hmm. purchase, which is really nice, yeah. and they come in multiple sizes so that's the other thing to consider is that condoms do have a lot of flexibility they can accommodate different sizes but at some point you might need a, a different size so that's really important as well to make sure that the fit is correct so it doesn't slip off yeah. or break mm-hmm. yeah and in terms of good condoms like I know we also carry some Japanese brands where the testing and the material is a little bit different exactly so crown a kimono being two other brands so in Japan they actually have way more rigorous testing than they do in North America so they're less likely to break just because they've been tested so thoroughly and they also tend to be thinner because one of the common complaints is that partners don't male partners don't want to wear them because they yeah, lose sensation right. mm-hmm. and so the thinner they are the more likely it is it's going to transfer heat and just have a more realistic feel so the more comfortable they are more likely a partner's going to want to use them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, one of the methods of birth control that wasn't really mentioned, but that we want to talk a little bit more about, is IUDs. They're sort of becoming, like, more mm. popular. People are talking about them a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you say that people should know about IUDs? Um, like, side effects or risks, things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what is it for in case? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Break it down. Yeah, so there's also, there's two different types of IUDs, so I think that's the first main mm-hmm. um, thing to know, because one of them is hormonal and one of them is copper. Right. Mm-hmm. So I actually have an IUD, and when I went to go get it inserted, they really pushed the hormonal one, and I was like, well, the whole point is I don't want to be on hormones. Yeah. Yeah. So just to be aware of that, that it, to yeah. know that there's a two di- the two different types and to be prepared, mm-hmm. then unfortunately this seems like a pretty common thing. I've known a number of people who've gone to have it inserted and they all have the hormonal one push partly because it does um, make it less likely that you'll have heavy bleeding because one of the side effects of the copper IUD which is the one that I have that doesn't have hormones is that it can increase uh, the severity of cramping okay and so with the hormones Mm -hmm. like we're talking about it really masks that symptom so it can actually Mm -hmm. reduce them so I think that's partly why they push the hormonal one is that uh heavier cramping and the bleeding is that forever is that just the first few periods the first few periods for sure but then for some people that continues on okay Um, so I know for myself that I've had mine in for about seven months or so and the first I don't know four or five months were Mm -hmm. quite bad my periods were probably twice as long I was having breakthrough bleeding as well which I hadn't Mm -hmm. had previously and I've been off the pill for almost 10 years now Mm -hmm. Um, 
So that would be the main thing. And certainly the insertion is quite painful. I think it varies from woman to woman. Um, I was joking with you guys just before I started recording. I totally got my mom to come with me and hold my hand. Um, and one of my friends is about to go get it and she was asking advice. And I would certainly say that because it varies from everyone, um, it might not be the case, but to plan that you'll want to have some time off afterwards in terms of rest. Like I certainly wouldn't have been able to focus on work mm -hmm. afterwards because it is just like having very extreme menstruation cramps. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just also the... I just felt foggy and a little bit dizzy and all yeah. of that. So to be prepared that the insertion could be painful and then it might change your cycle for a while. Yeah. Right. Anything you want to add to that? Um, no. no. I mean, some of the advantages being that you, if you go with the copper IUD, that you aren't taking hormones and it is quite cost effective and it can be left in for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. So for some women, that's a really nice. Right. And I've also yeah. heard that once you remove it, your fertility, true or mm -hmm. false, is sort of Exactly. Because like there's no hormones, right? Right. right? It's not affecting your body in that way. Okay. Yeah. Um, I heard that the IUD might not be um, compatible with the Diva Cup. Is Great that, question, because yeah. that was one we of the big reasons. I was yeah. really worried when I was talking about getting the IUD with my partner. My biggest concern, well, beyond the very, very small chance that it can puncture your uterus. It's a very small chance, but certainly fewer than that. Yeah, we don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> not a good side effect, because yeah. I said it's very, very minor. There's, there's mixed uh, reviews online about the Diva Cup and whether it's compatible uh, with the IUD. I have used my Diva Cup since getting the IUD. I think the main thing is you really have to make sure that you break the seal, because what can happen? And right. is that you, you don't break this, you pull it out. Okay. Yeah. Which yeah. would not be fun. Yeah. Um, no. But yeah, as I said, I think that the. Um, what the company recommends, the Diva Cup company doesn't recommend it just because there is the chance of that and obviously yeah. they want to err on the side of caution, but I can say from personal experience that it's been fine and that I read a lot of online blogs where the comments people had been using it together for many, many years. Mm -hmm. So I think right. it's a personal as choice. As, mm -hmm. Yeah, as long as they're careful and it's a personal choice whether you want to take the risk that that might happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think moving on, we wanted to talk a bit about STDs mm -hmm. and um, STIs. And STIs. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, what are what are the biggest misconceptions out there um, about STIs? There's a few of them. I think, unfortunately, the biggest one is that people assume that um, that they would know and um, that their partner would necessarily know, right? And mm -hmm. the problem is if you don't have that information, you can't necessarily make an informed choice. And a lot of STIs, including like chlamydia and gonorrhea, you might be carrying it and not even have symptoms, not even know. And I know for myself that I assumed that I would know because I thought when I was getting my yearly test done with my doctor, my physical, that they were testing for that and they weren't. Um, really? That's not a standard test. You usually have to ask for it. You have to specifically say, I would like to get STI testing. And sometimes you even have to check off which boxes, like which things you want to be tested for. Wow. So I was under the misconception that I yeah. would know if I had one. Right. And I, I wouldn't necessarily have known. So I think that's a big misconception that people think oh. they would know their status. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can get that done through your family doctor, but there's also places like the house. If you live in Toronto, there's the hassle-free. Um, mm -hmm. Planned Parenthood will do that kind of testing. So yeah, mm -hmm. to just really make sure that you know your own status um, and yeah. that when you're with any partner and also to recognize that um, when you get the testing done there's a few months some of those things can show up so to make sure that you're covering yourself for those mm -hmm. that time period as well and using condoms mm -hmm. I mean that's the under the, the basic thing right is just yeah. always using yeah. condoms is the best method to mm -hmm. make yeah. sure that and also um, using um, dental dams thank you mm -hmm. for oral sex or anal play yeah Yep. Right, because in the segment they were talking about how there's this misconception that STIs are going down, like the rates of them. It's actually incidents. rising. Yeah. Especially yeah. amongst uh, 15 to 25, they're seeing a rise, uh, particularly in gonorrhea and chlamydia. There's mm -hmm. been a rise in both of those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, 
We know that your store specializes in like eco-sex, eco-friendly um, sex toys and products. Um, for people who don't really know about that kind of field, what should they be looking for in their sex toys if, I mean, they can go to your great store. <laughs> yeah, you can have to be a smart shopper, so yeah, we can certainly yeah. talk about that. Uh, so the backstory for our um, eco-sex website is that when we first opened the store, we didn't really know a lot about how sex toys regulate, and mainly that they're not. They're considered novelty oh. items. Oh, okay. So as a result really? of that, yes, yeah. which I always think is funny, it's like, well, I guess maybe people buy them for bachelorettes and things like that as a joke, but generally if I'm buying a dildo, I'm planning to use it. Especially the nicer ones, I'm not going to spend $100 on a novelty no. item. Right? <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so because they're considered a novelty item, they don't actually have to be, uh, they don't have to list any of the ingredients or list what's in them. Um, and they also just don't have to be really aware about the fact that these might not be safe for insertion. So when we opened up our store, we had uh, demos out. So we were opening up the package and there's this funky smell coming out of many of the toys. And I'm like, what is this? So we started doing some research and finding out that a lot of the time that these phthalates, which is um, a chemical used to soften plastics, um, which there's been a lot of conversation about how we can eliminate our exposure right. to phthalates. Unfortunately, it's in almost everything from shower curtains to sex toys. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so, yes, yeah, so when we found out that a lot of toys um, have phthalates, and this is really concerning, especially um, one of the problems is it can lead to um, an increased risk for cancer, which is something that's really close mm -hmm. to Amy and I because our mother had breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, yeah, so we got started to get all this information and started to really think about the kinds of products we wanted to sell. And so mm -hmm. we've really chosen to limit the products we sell to ones that we can guarantee are phthalate-free, which is hard to do because a lot of companies are jumping on the bandwagon of looking like they're eco-friendly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they'll right. misspell phthalates or they'll misspell oh. silicone. Mm -hmm. So silicone is really the best material in terms of sex toys because it's guaranteed to be yeah. phthalate free. It's mm -hmm. also non-porous which makes it much easier for a right. product to be clean because yeah. um, assuming that it's a silicone toy that doesn't have a battery component you can boil it so you can entirely sterilize it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah silicone is really the best option but as I said unfortunately it's sometimes even hard to know if you're getting a silicone product. It'll say silicone but it's not really 100% yeah. silicone. Yeah. So these are the sorts of things to look for. Mm -hmm. It's really to go to you either online stores or physical stores where there's staff members you can ask and really make sure that you're getting the product that it is that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. There's some companies that will guarantee that their products are 100% silicone, silicone. So we love Happy Valley because it's an Ontario-based company. It's actually oh, a husband yeah. and wife who live in this 100-year-old farmhouse and, they have <laughs> and make silicone dildos, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> Um, so, All the power to yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Happy Valley Silicone is a company we love to recommend because they've mm -hmm. been doing this long before it was the trendy thing to do and you can be yeah. guaranteed that any of their products. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just doing your research, being an informed shopper, going online and making sure that the product that you're purchasing is safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I guess I just wanted to add that like for us, the whole concept of eco-sex and eco-sexuality extends beyond just the like impact on the environment and just goes towards the ecology of our own bodies and like right. what kinds of products are going to be kind for our bodies. So as Kim mentioned, like obviously staying away from things like phthalates and those kinds of things that will be disruptive to our own yeah. endocrine system, but also things like what we mentioned earlier, you know, choosing um, lubricants that are glycerin free that aren't going to cause yeast infections or allergic reactions, um, things like that. So it's, it's more a whole philosophy for us around just making choices that are, you know, better for our bodies, better for the environment, um, as much as possible supporting local producers like this, you know, farm in Peterborough, so rather than shipping from around the other side of the world, 
Um, yeah. Again, just buying locally. So well, and also supporting companies that are really sex positive. Like that's yeah. part of why I mm-hmm. mentioned Happy Valley is like they mm-hmm. really genuinely care about helping women and couples to feel more sexually empowered. Yeah. Um, and I say women first just because I think that that's traditionally an area where women haven't felt sexually empowered. Mm-hmm. So again, I think supporting companies whenever possible that really believe mm-hmm. in that mission versus mm-hmm. companies that are like, oh, here's a cash cow, just make a whole bunch of yeah. junky toys. Yeah. So for us, as Amy said, yeah, it's really more of a philosophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's great. I love that philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of sexual empowerment, one yeah. of the things you say on your website is that you want to encourage women to feel more in touch with their bodies and to be more sexually empowered. And I know our generation, sometimes we feel a bit awkward and stilted in those kinds of um, areas. So mm-hmm. how do you have any tips for people to start feeling more sexually empowered? Like, are there things that we can do? Um, conversations we can have with our partners, things like that? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what you even just said there, like having conversations with your partner, I think unfortunately this... There's this myth that you're not supposed to be able, you're not supposed to have to ask for what you want. That people are just yeah. supposed to magically yeah. know. Because in, in movies and TV, they just magically know all the right yeah. buttons to press, right? <laughs> it yeah. really doesn't happen that way, that we're mm-hmm. all really different. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think often it's hard to have that conversation because, yeah, we assume that they should just know and that somehow. Also, I think for myself, I'll just speak um, to that experience, which is that I didn't feel like it was right as a woman to like ask for anything, right? Like I was so used mm. to pleasuring other people and specifically pleasuring my part my male partner that it felt really hard to say like, oh, actually I need more than what's currently right. happening and here are some suggestions for what that would look like. And I think that's really hard for women to do, but to hard. start mm-hmm. having that conversation is so important. Um, and I always love bringing out the statistic that for women in heterosexual relationships, intercourse is not usually enough because 70% of women can't orgasm from penetration alone. Mm. 70%. So I feel like there's so many women who used to come into our store and they thought something was wrong with them. They yeah. said, like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my body that I can't orgasm? Um, mm-hmm. And often because sex is, is associated, it's, it's considered synonymous. Mm-hmm. Sex and intercourse are considered, you know, yeah. one and the same. Right. And so people often don't realize that there's so many other things that they could be doing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really love about the Justice Method that mm-hmm. Amy teaches is she was talking about during that fertile time mm-hmm. um, that you can't have... Uh, vaginal intercourse Mm -hmm. and you could use a barrier method or you could try alternative sexual practices right and we talk Mm -hmm. about the idea of taking uh, foreplay and turning it into coreplay which is an idea we borrow from Ian Kerner who wrote the awesome book She Comes First which I think is a fabulous title (laughs) so his whole philosophy is we have all these things that we talk about as if they're the precursor to the main event right so oral sex manual Mm -hmm. stimulation toys all -hmm. of those things are considered somehow inferior or like the build up to this better thing and I think if we can really change change the conversation to make all of those things equally important I think that would especially because for women like the clitoris is the pleasure center and for most women that doesn't even get hit properly during intercourse so you know the oral and the manual like those are all necessary to be even like reaching the organ that's going to cause us pleasure so I think opening up that conversation is really important yeah do you think that there's anything in particular that people in their 20s don't know about sex that they should know um or do you think they're there's just all of us are kind of in the dark (laughs) (laughs) yeah I wouldn't necessarily say it's even an age thing I mean we certainly had lots of when we had women coming in in like their 80s coming in to ask questions so um I think we're all in the same boat together because Mm -hmm. we live in this really sex saturated environment um and yet real candid conversations about sexual pleasure happen so rarely and I think that yeah there's this misconception that we should all know about sex because it's being talked about but we're not really actually talking about the diversity of pleasure and all the different things that can happen Mm -hmm. and so I think the fact that 
but yeah, those conversations aren't happening. I, I don't mm. think it's limited to a certain demographic. And I think if I were to say anything, is it is a lifelong process. I mean, I've been spending what the last seven years in particular with our business, but even as we were talking mm. about earlier, since I was little talking about sex, and I'm constantly learning new things. So yeah. it's not like we mm. come out knowing how to have not just the sex with our partner, but even understanding our own bodies and our bodies are changing over time. So it really is a lifelong journey in terms of understanding mm -hmm. what you want. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so for anyone who is thinking about these things, do you have any resources for people who want to get more in touch with their bodies or start to learn how to do um, these, have these conversations with their partners? Besides your great website, yeah. <laughs> which we will obviously link to in the show notes. <laughs> Yeah, in terms of, I mean, one of the wonderful things about the internet is there's so many yep. blogs and things mm -hmm. out there, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Our Bodies Ourselves, I think everyone should be given a copy of that book. Mm -hmm. I still have our mom's copy, which is like <laughs> so thin. I think it was about 50 pages long, and we have the newest version, which yeah. is encyclopedic size. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's some of your favorite sex books are... Yeah, so I, I really like um, Lou Paget, partly just for nostalgia. Lou Paget was um, the author of Orgasms, which is the first sexuality book that I bought way back when, but I still mm -hmm. think it's an awesome one. I love Love Tristan Termino, who is a um, filmmaker. She makes feminist porn, but she's also written a bunch of oh, really cool. excellent sex uh, books. She also ran, has a whole series of um, expert videos, which are really awesome. Because yeah, yeah. the idea with those is the first part of it is instructional, and then you see people having sex in a whole variety of different uh, ways and really diverse in terms of sexual orientation, mm -hmm. um, ethnicity. So I think her films are fantastic. And she has a great website. So even if you don't necessarily want to be purchasing anything, Tristan Tamino, I think, is an awesome sex expert. Mm -hmm. um, we've had Midori, who's an awesome uh, sex expert from Japan, um, mm -hmm. come on to restore. Mm -hmm. I think suddenly I'm drawing a blank on all the fabulous <laughs> people that we know. I mean, if you're in Toronto. Well, I mean, part of the problem, though, is I think there's not a lot of conversations about this. So there are yeah. some workshops, you know, mm -hmm. like in-person workshops here in Toronto. And there's places like good for her and come as you are and we're moving more to an online platform so Kim actually has like an online six-week email course that people can do which, oh, cool. and we're planning to um, change the format of it and make it even more exciting than it already is but one of the things I love about what Kim offers in that regard is that people can watch it from the comfort of their own home because I do think it's an area where a lot of people are just not comfortable going to a group workshop admitting that they need help or admitting that they don't know something that can be really difficult yeah and so I think that the online course is really great for that and can includes a lot of um, advice around how to have some of those conversations with your partner. Um, so what's that um, example you always use about like when you're asking your partner oh, yeah. something? I love this one, so you should share it. <laughs> so we were talking earlier about how hard it is often to communicate with your partner and I feel like it's often hard because if you frame it as a question, do you like this? Well, if the answer is that it's not really working for you, you have to say no, then it's really hard to say that in a way yeah. that's not going to be upsetting yeah. to your partner and shoot them down and make <laughs> them laugh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what I always suggest is give alternatives. Say, do you like it higher or lower? Like, so give alternatives yeah. so that mm -hmm. they can offer feedback in a way. Faster, slower. Faster, slower. Or yeah. This, you know, yeah. So do you like it when I touch you here or here? So if yeah. you give alternatives, then it's more likely they'll be able to say something that they like. And if you focus on the positive, then it's yeah. more likely mm -hmm. to have the result of a, a conversation that doesn't shoot anyone down and actually furthers the dialogue rather than stopping it. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. that's a great tip. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, yeah thank you so much for oh, <laughs> talking about this stuff all day long. I know. <laughs> we feel like we just absorbed a huge yeah. wealth of information. I, I had a fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys are great. Thank, thank you so you. much for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah, my right. pleasure. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs>